Keith, I'll see you after the service. <laughs> if you have your glasses, put them on. If you have your ears, put them on. If you have your Bibles, open them up once again to 1 Timothy chapter 5. As we continue our sermon series through this letter from the great Apostle Paul to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Timothy has been called by God, sent by the Apostle to go to the church at Ephesus. He's a young man. He does not have any formal education in ministry. He's inexperienced. He doesn't have a lot of life experience nor spiritual experience to bring to the table. But he's God's man. And when God calls someone, he will enable them and equip them to do what he's called them to do. 1 Timothy is a letter that Apostle Paul sent to young Timothy. It's an educational primer about the ministry. It's an encouragement book to a young man who feels overwhelmed. We've already seen how Paul has talked to Timothy about leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's very important that you put the right people in leadership if you wish to go upward and not downward. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is going to talk to Timothy about people in the church. People in the church. How do you treat people in the church? 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're not going to be reading all 25 verses, but I would like us to read a few verses together if we could. I'd like us to begin with verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul writes to young Timothy, writes to you and I this morning, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Treat younger men as brothers. Treat older women as mothers. Treat younger women as sisters with all purity. Verse 3. Honor the widows. Honor the widows. Verse 17. Let the elders who rule be well counted worthy of double honor. Three groups of people here. We're looking at the congregation as a whole. Verse 1. Then we're looking at the widows in a congregation, verse 3. And then we're looking at the ordained ministers in a church, verse 17. Now, when you think about the church, the people who make up the church, there's many different metaphors or similes that the Bible gives us how we should look at it. The Bible speaks of the church as a whole, as being an army. And those who make up the church, that would be you and I, as being faithful soldiers of that army. The Bible speaks of the church as being a body. And those of us who are in the church, we are various parts of that body. The Bible speaks of the church as a building. And those who make up the church being assorted materials that would go into the building of a building. The Bible speaks of the church as a corporation made up of people who are talented and who do the work. 
Now, I don't see anything wrong with any of that because the church is an army. The church is a body. The church is a building. The church is a corporation. But I like the way the Bible presents the church in another way. I prefer this, and maybe you would as well. The Bible presents the church as a family. A family made up of differing people. One of my favorite shows on television is Green Acres. That might be telling you something about me you don't want to know. But Green Acres to me is like a family. A little community of people who are all different. Mr. Douglas was always so well-spoken and he was a straight man. And then there was Lisa who was pretty but was a pretty blonde and you know what that means. And then there was Fred and Arnold Ziffel, you know, who had the little pig. I mean, you had Mr. Haney who could sell anything and everything. And Hank Kimball, the county agent, who couldn't remember who he was half the time. Reminds us of somebody in Washington. <laughs> but but that, that's Green Acres. But you know, all of us are kind of like a Green Acres family. I was thinking about my family. We have characters in my family, too. You got characters in yours. And our church is a family. Lots of differing people. We've got characters in this church. And whenever you got a lot of people and you got a lot of characters, you're going to have conflict sometimes. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. Timothy's the pastor at the church at Ephesus, and he's got a lot of people in that church. It was a large church. And he comes to that church, and there's conflict going on among people. There's challenges. There's issues. There's problems. And the Apostle Paul, who cannot be with Timothy, sends him a letter. And in chapter 5 of this letter, he says to Timothy, let me help you understand how you need to handle all these different people. And so that's what we're going to look at today and we're going to be looking at next week. is the family of God, the characters who make up the family of God, and how they should be treated, how they should be handled, that you can have unity and harmony in the church and the cause of Christ can be advanced. Not, not set back, but advanced. Now in verses 1 and 2, if you have your Bibles open, and I'm not going to be able to read all these verses, so I'm going to trust you to read them when you get home or to read them as I'm speaking if you're multitasked. Okay? The first verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy an overview of how to treat the people in the church in general. Okay, this is an overview. This would include anybody and everybody that would be here today. Look at your Bible. Paul says to Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as a, help me out, father. Treat younger men as, older women as, younger women as, with all purity. So there you see 
the family of God concept introduced. Every church has fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. Our church does, the church at Ephesus did. And those four groups, you got to know how to handle them. Because you're going to have to deal with them in some way, shape, or form on a constant basis. Now let's look at the four groups because you're in one of those groups, okay? Now you don't have to raise your hand or say amen if I call your group, okay? I'm not going to point you out, but let's look at the four groups. Group number one is the older men. You say, Pastor, what is old? I'm not going there. If you want to be old, you can be old. If you want to be young, you can be young. But if you are old and you know you're old and you consider yourself old and the church knows you're old, this is how we're to treat you. We're to treat you as we would treat our father. Now what's the idea behind this? Older men in the church should be treated with respect. They should be treated with love. Their counsel ought to be sought. We should value their experiences. Leviticus 19 verse 32 says it like this. You shall rise before the gray-headed. In other words, you should stand before the gray-headed. And honor the presence of an older man. So older men in the church of Jesus Christ are to be respected. Just as you would respect your father. They're to be loved, just as you would love your father. They have advice that they can give. They have counsel that they can share. And we need to listen to them. Because they have not only education from, from schools, perhaps, but they got education from experiences they can share with us. So if you're an older man, how are we going to treat you at this church, or how should we treat you? We should treat you with respect. Notice he also talks about the second group. Younger men treat them as brothers. Now you say, Pastor, what does younger mean? I'm not falling into that trap either. If you want to be young, you're young. But how do you treat younger men in the church? You treat them as teammates, comrades allies. Young men are a little bit more high-strung than older men, a little bit more aggressive than older men. And so they're different in many ways, but when younger men get together, they need to all be treated equally. They need to all be treated in such a way that they see they're a valued part of the team. Many times younger men get disenfranchised because they don't feel like nobody listens to them. Nobody needs them. We're to listen to them. We're to need them. We're to get them involved in the ministry of the church. We need to let them know they're an important part of the team. And we want them to be part of the team. In doing so, we will have unity and harmony. So older men are treated with respect. Younger men are treated as you would treat a teammate. Everybody's equal on a football team, but everybody has different positions they play. 
But the idea is you work together in unity and in harmony to accomplish whatever the offense is trying to accomplish at any given time. Then he goes on to the third group. If you're looking at verse 2, he now talks to those of you who are older ladies, older women. And he says they are to be treated in the church as mothers. Older men are to be treated as fathers. Older women are to be treated as mothers. We're to honor our older women. We're to love them, show them attention and affection. We're to protect them. We're to provide for them as needed. Just like you would do your own mother. And then he goes to younger women. And he says younger women should be treated as sisters. Now he puts a little handle behind this for younger women. Younger women as sisters with all purity. What is he saying here? Those of you who are younger women, you know who you are. We're to treat you as sisters. We're to watch over you. We're to guard you. We're to protect you from two things. That little word purity in the Greek is speaking of guarding somebody, protecting somebody from doctrinal heresy, sexual immorality. A good church that's a family respects the older men, works as a team with the younger men, honors the older ladies, but it watches over the younger women, guarding them from doctrinal heresy that seems to affect younger women more than any other group, and guard them from sexual immorality that many times they can get caught up in because they're looking for somebody else to marry, perhaps. So that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Now, listen to me. Many churches today don't want older men, fathers, or older women, mothers. Some of you that are here were unceremoniously dismissed from your church as not longer being relevant, needed, wanted, you were booted out the door. That is wrong of churches to do. God's church should be for everybody. And if you're here and you're an older man, if you're here and you're an older woman, I want you to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Thank you for being here. We hope that we can respect you and honor you and love you and do whatever we can to help you be all that you can be for Jesus before you go and join him. I want you to know that. So Paul talks about, first of all, to Timothy, he says, you got four groups in the church, older men, respect them, older women, honor them, younger men, consider them as teammates, equals, get them involved, and younger women, you watch out for them, protect them, guard them. That is a responsibility primarily to older women, to younger women, by the way. Make sure that they doctrinally understand the great doctrines of the faith and make sure that they understand that they're to be sexually pure until marriage. 
And now he's going to move on to another group in the church. Verse 3. He goes from how to treat people in general in the church to how to treat widows specifically. And in verse 3 through 16, he talks about widows. Now, I told you I'm not going to read all those verses to you. It would take up too much time. So you need to read them. And again, you can read them as I'm talking if you would like. How to treat widows specifically. Notice in verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. You say, Pastor, how can you be a widow, really be one, and not really be one? Well, let me explain what he's saying to you in just a second. But I want you to look first of all at the term widow. If I asked you what is a widow, most of you would say it is a lady who has lost her husband to death. Now that is in the strictest sense of the word. But the word widow that's used here is a more generalized word. It's a word that covers a lot more than just the death of a husband. It would cover the separation of a husband from his wife, from the family. A desertion of the husband from the family. A, a divorce of the husband from the family. An imprisonment of the husband where he's no longer with the family. So when we talk about widow here, we're going far beyond just the fact you've lost your husband to death. A widow could be someone who has lost her husband to separation, desertion, divorce, or imprisonment, or something else. The, the, the idea is he's no longer in the picture. He's no longer a part of the family in any way, shape, or form. And what Paul is communicating is that widows are very valuable and they're to be cared for by the church. And he divides the widows up into four classifications so that the church will know how to take care of them. Okay? So if you're a widow here today, you would be in one of these four classifications. The first classification would be widows who have no family and no viable means of support. Notice it says, honor widows who are really widows. That phrase, really widows, means widows who have nothing. They're really widows. They have no family. They have no viable means of support. They're godly women who live by themselves, who live alone, and who have absolutely nothing. They have no family. They have no in-laws. They have no outlaws. They have no relatives. They have no income. They're alone except for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their brothers and sisters in the family of God. Who is responsible for these widows? Who through no fault of their own, have no family, have no relatives, have no viable means of income? The churches. We at Miles Road have a responsibility to those who are widows in our church. 
who have no brothers, who have no sisters, who have no children, who have no grandchildren, who have no aunts, who have no uncles, who have no nieces, they have no nephews. Perhaps they raise their, perhaps they, they have no income for whatever reasons. It's our responsibility as much as we can, to the best that we can, to help out and take care of these kind of ladies. That's our responsibility. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. That's God's responsibility. It is. But who do you think God uses? God supplies to us. It comes down that we will distribute it out. And so widows are those who absolutely have no family and they have no financial viability. Whose responsibility to take care of them? Ours. Ours. Secondly, in verse 4, you will also have widows who have a family. They, they don't have a husband. He's died, he's left them, he's deserted them, he's in prison. But they do have a family. They have a mother, they have a father, they have grandparents, they have children, they have grandchildren. Maybe they have a brother or a sister or or aunt, or uncle, niece, or nephew. They have some family. It says in verse 4, If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. So you have a widow in the church who has no husband, but she has family. And she has need. Maybe she has financial need. Maybe she has some other type of need, a material need or a resource need or something that needs to be fixed or repaired. Who is responsible for her? Her family is first and foremost. Her family should rise up. Her family should get together and have a conference, a, a council, and determine how they can best help this individual. It should begin with the children, it should extend to the grandchildren, and it should include even outer family if need be. We don't hear much about that today anymore. Because we somehow got the idea, it's the government's responsibility to do everything. It's not the government's responsibility. Yes, they can play a part in it, and they should. But the widows who have family, the family should be the ones who step up and take care of her and meet her needs. So the family becomes primary. The church would be secondary. Whereas in the case of a widow who has no family and no financial portfolio, the church becomes primary because she has no secondary. Thirdly, in verses 11 through 13, we see the third group of widows. These are widows who are young. I know what you're thinking. What's young, Pastor? You determine that. Okay? But widows who are young... They are to do for themselves. Verses 11 through 13, if you'll glance there. 
It says, refuse the younger widows. Refuse them means do not extend to them initial help or primary help. Widows who are young, who are still able to work, are to work. If they're physically able to work, they're to work. Why? Because they can. They need to take care of themselves. Okay? Socially speaking, physically they're able to work, but socially most young widows are looking to do what one day? Come on now, y'all smart. What are you looking to do? Remarry. They're, they're, they're one day hoping that they will meet somebody who will love them, Love their children, love the situation and circumstance of their past and present. So they're looking for somebody to remarry. But while they're looking for that person to remarry, they're to be working. They're to be taking care of themselves as much as they can. They're to take care of their children and their responsibilities as much as they can. By doing that, they will have a good self-esteem. By doing that, they will stay out of trouble. Because once again, the young widows, according to Paul, they have a problem sometimes. They can be busybodies. They can be gossips. They can be murmurers. They can uh, get a little bit lazy. They can be demanding. They can be ungrateful. And Paul says, we don't want any of that in the church. We want young women who are who are who are assertive, we want them to be independent, we want them to work. But at the same time, if they have need for supplement, the church can step in and help them. Does that make sense to you? When you give people something for nothing who really could make it themselves, what are you doing? Before you answer that question, just look at our society right now. When you give people something for nothing... And don't ask them to work, don't ask them to contribute, don't ask them to do anything but show up with their hand out. I'm telling you, they become lazy. That's why you can't find people to work. Sometimes you'll also find them talking about things, griping about things, complaining about things because they didn't get what they're supposed to get. Well, maybe they weren't supposed to get anything. You see, that's, that's the society we're in right now. We've made a generation of enablers. And don't get me wrong, I believe people need help. But if you can help yourself, you help yourself. And then others can pull up alongside of you and fill in the gaps. And then the fourth group of widows are found in verse 9 and 10. And these are widows who have lived godly lives. They have family. They have financial means. They're in the church, their faith is real, their life is righteous, their past is filled with good works, their ministry has been praised by one and all. What's the responsibility of, a, of the church to a widow who's like that? You take care of her with love offerings every now and then just to tell her, thank you. We've got some widows in this church that I wish we could pat on the back more and do little things for them. They don't need it. 
but we do it in appreciation for their many years of service to Jesus Christ. Faithful service outside and inside the church. And so that's the four groups of widows. And that's how we as a church are to, to work with them. Okay? So if you're a widow with no viable family or means of support, we're going to help take care of you. If you're a widow and you have family, then your family needs to come together and counsel and decide how they can help you. Don't call the church till you've called your family. Because they're the primary responsibility for you. And by the way, the Bible says if a family will not take care of its own, they're worse than infidels. And then we have younger widows who you work, you take care of yourself, and the church will come in and help you when we can and as we can. We're not going to let you go under, but we're not going to do the swimming for you either. you got to do the swimming, but we'll pull up alongside of you and we'll help keep you above water. And then there's widows that they really don't need anything. But sometimes you just need to pat people on the back and tell them thank you. And you do that to these kind of widows because they've been faithful to the Lord for many, many, many years. I find it remarkable that we live in a day and age in which many ladies have been told by feminists and by other religions... Christianity is not for them. That, that Christianity and, and, and Jesus Christ and churches push them down. That's not true at all. The greatest friend you ladies will ever have is Jesus Christ. He came alongside and he elevated you as you should have been elevated to start with. Because in that time that this Bible was written. Do you know the Greek society and the Roman society and other societies that were all coming together at that point, a melting pot of them? Do you know how they thought about women? Women were primarily forgotten, neglected, ignored, or mistreated. You were considered an equal to a dog or to a slave, but you were not equal to your husband. You were just a piece of property to him, and he could sell you or get rid of you as he so chose. Jesus Christ came along and said, enough of that. He took womanhood and elevated it to equal with manhood. He made the foot of the cross equal for everybody. I didn't say the same for everybody, but I said equal for everybody. So ladies, don't you buy that bill of goods by women feminists or by these world religions. Jesus Christ is the greatest thing womanhood has ever had because he cares about you and he loved you enough at the cross and throughout his ministry to lift you up. And then lastly, we're talking about how to treat people in the church. We've looked at older men and younger men. We've looked at older women and younger women. We've looked at the widows. And now we're going to close out by looking at church leaders. I find this interesting because Timothy is the pastor of the church. And yet Paul is saying to Timothy, this is how you're to treat your staff. And this is how the people are to treat you. So Timothy, you treat your staff this way because you're responsible for them. 
And church, you treat your pastor this way because you're responsible for him. Verse 17, let the elders, now remember the elders is a general word for any of the ordained leadership of the church, specifically pastoral or ministerial. Okay? Now, in verses 17 through 25, if you got your Bibles looking at them, Paul gives Timothy instructions on how to treat staff ministers and your pastor. Now, he begins in verse 17 by saying they should be compensated for their service. Especially those who are charged with preserving, protecting, and proclaiming the truth of God's word. Because remember I told you several weeks ago, the greatest responsibility I have as your pastor, my staff has as your pastor, our leadership has as your leaders, is to make sure that this church is founded on the truth. That we will pass on to our children the truth of God's word. Our grandchildren will get the truth of God's word. Because that truth is under attack. It's my responsibility more than anything else as the lead pastor to make sure that we are preserving the truth of God's word, protecting the truth of God's word, proclaiming the truth of God's word. So help us God. Our truth is not to be compromised. It will not be compromised. We stand upon the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me because the Bible is the truth of God's word. We're not going to deviate from it. We're going to stay the course with it. And so you compensate your pastor well. You compensate the staff well for being defenders of the truth. Some churches give pastors far more than they should have because they let the pastors write a blank check how much their compensation will be. Other churches believe that the best pastor is the poor pastor, and so they make sure that he stays poor. Which one's right? They're both wrong. You compensate a man fairly for what you're asking him to do and what God has called him to do. And I want to go on record as saying, thank you so much for taking care of me. Thank you so much for taking care of my staff. You are very a gracious people. Thank you. Also, Paul says to Timothy that you're to keep gossip from coming out into the congregation and murmuring from coming into the congregation about your staff or about, and the, con and the congregation should keep it out from coming to you. Every church has gossips, every church has murmurs who feel like they need to say something they don't know nothing about. It's your job as a church in order to have unity and harmony to not allow that to take place. Gossip will never become gossip if you don't let it go anywhere. Murmuring will never become murmuring if you don't let it go anywhere, right? If, if it stops with you, it's not going to go anywhere else. And so, church leaders, I'll stop it about my staff you should stop it from coming to me. 
I'll make sure my staff is compensated, but you make sure I'm compensated. And then he goes on to talk about this. You see, Paul is really hitting the nail on the head and some stuff. I don't know if he was a Baptist or not, but he kind of thinks like a Baptist. As you keep reading, he talks about your responsibility as a church is to correct wrong teaching. Correct wrong teaching. If you hear of wrong teaching taking place, and you, you, you do something about it. You talk to me about it. You talk to one of the staff about it. Because truth is important, as I said earlier, and we've got to make sure that we've got the truth going on. Not just the truth from the pulpit, but the truth from Sunday schools and small groups and discipleship classes and other meetings where it's taking place. We need to treat everybody equally and fairly. That's my responsibility to my staff. They're all equals. You say, but this one does more than the other one. No, they don't. They all do the same. They do whatever I ask them to do. And they all do what I ask them to do, and they do it well. So they're all treated equally. They're all treated fairly. It's your responsibility to make sure that you don't call unfit people to the ministry. Because unfit, unfit people in the ministry, as we've seen and when we talked about leadership, they create a mess. And once they're in, it's very difficult to get them out. You need to demand godly behavior. The reason why some churches have a lot of stuff going on that's ungodly is because the people allow it. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. I don't have a problem with casual dress, but I have a problem with a minister standing up with holes in his jeans and a t-shirt on, trying to be hip to the kids. Not my job to be hip, it's my job to proclaim the truth. You see, that kind of stuff needs to be addressed. If I'm promoting the use of alcohol or the smoking of weed, you need to challenge that. That's not godly behavior being mentioned or modeled. So Paul talks about all of this stuff. And this is practical stuff. And you say, well, pastor, I don't fit any of it. Well, one day you might. You need to understand it. So how do you get along with people in the family of God? You respect older men. You honor older women. You treat younger men as teammates, comrades, allies. We're all on the same page. We're all working together, though we might be different. You protect your younger women. You make sure that they're not being introduced to doctrine that's unsound or being pressured into sexual immorality by someone. You guard them. You protect them. Then you look at your widows. If a widow has absolutely nothing in the way of family or finances, the church takes care of her. We are the primary responsibility to her. If she has family, the family becomes the primary responsibility for her. We become the secondary. If she's a young widow, her responsibility is her. She's to take care of herself and her children. And if the church can supplement, if others can supplement, we shall and we will. And if we have a widow here that has been a faithful widow to the cause of Christ for many, many years, 
Every now and then we just need to pat her on the back and say thank you. Here's a gift. Here's this. Here's that. And then when it comes to ministers, of course we've already talked about that. You have a responsibility to me, I have a responsibility to my staff. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is this. If the family of God can get along, it will make a profound difference out there. When a family can be unified and harmonized in how they treat one another. I didn't say we have to all be like. I didn't say we always have to agree with one another. But we learn how to love one another. I don't know this for a fact, but I bet you if Oliver Wendell Douglas was here right now, he'd tell you that he loved his wife Lisa. That's a gimme. But he also loved Alf and Ralph. And Mr. Haney and Mr. Kimball and Arnold the Pig. And Sam Drucker. And all those other cast of characters. You see, we're to love one another. All for one. One for all. One and all under Jesus Christ. And by the way, just for your education as we close. You know what the purpose of deacons were in Acts chapter 6? Two purposes. The primary purpose, though, was to take care of who? Come on, say it. The widows. So that's why it's important, and I spent some time teaching it today. Because the deacons were created to take care of the widows in the church. Because the treatment of the widows was causing a problem in the church, and it needed to be corrected. So that's this very serious thing to God and should be to us how we treat one another, particularly our ladies who are by themselves, many times through no fault of their own. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.